Welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series, we talk to New Zealand graphic designers, hear their stories and celebrate their work. I'm Louise, and today I'm talking to Pete Montgomery. Pete is currently the Creative Director at Xero in Wellington. Xero is a New Zealand-based company that develops cloud-based accounting software. Pete, hi, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Lou. Pete, I'd like to start with asking you where you come from. How did you get into graphic design? Um, I, I remember when I was young and um, I think my mother said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be an artist or a rock star. And I don't know if I actually ever achieved that, but I think there's sort of something in the graphic design world where you could be a rock star artist. And um, I focused on that and I was always inspired by my grandmother who was, you know, taught me how to draw, she taught me a lot of crafts, she taught me, she inspired me in sort of, you know, creative processes and that was something I latched onto and it was really, uh, I had started to look at when I was at high school about going to um, do uh, architectural engineering and I did like link courses which they ran and I was intrigued by architecture and I want to do that and then I think there was just something in me that went oh, this sounds like too much like hard work um, when it started talking about you know the strengths and the weaknesses of concrete and I was like oh do you have to do this so there's actually uh, a school friend Nigel Stanford who uh, suggested that we go to design school so we left school after sixth form which is I suppose year 12 in, in modern language and we went to do a foundation course in design. So we did the six-month introductory at the Wellington Design School. At that time, they were looking to move it into a degree, and I'd, I'd applied for the diploma. And again, I wasn't really that qualified. I had done the most appalling uh, entry-level sort of thing. I think I'd taken my fifth-form art project and sent it off, thinking I could be a graphic designer was that. And um, I realised that I was going to need to do this foundation course to get some sort of introductory into what it is actually all about. And then they changed to a degree, and I didn't have university entrance, so I was applying for the Wellington Bachelor of Design, or uh, Bachelor of Design at uh, Victoria University, run by uh, the two schools. And it was just through um, talking with the heads of the school that I managed to sort of talk my way around, like, oh, I've got an interest in architecture, and that sort of, like, was a, a bit of a an opener because they said oh you can transfer with this new degree that we're developing you'll be able to transfer so I was into the university degree on a um, I think it was a preliminary uh, I was on probation for a year basically to prove that I had the skills and um, yeah that's how I got into it and then I've just sort of kept my kept my just sort of focus on sort of all these different well I wasn't really focused but sort of kept inspired by all these different sort of ways of being able to do creative and it was um the, the weird thing is I'm actually really inspired now by people who don't come from a design background, who get into the design field. Uh, I remember hearing Dave Carson uh, in the 90s, he just sort of had, you know, at that time the most amazing sort of approach to design, and he'd come from a background of psychology. Um, so I found that, like, ah, oh, I've been a little bit too, you know, single focused, so how can I find variation or differentiation in my, in my course? Mm -hmm. Um, and even though you say that you're influenced by people outside of the design profession, um, did you have uh, particular um, tutors or designers that you looked to when you were training or as a young designer? Yeah, it was at the, at the design school we had a lot of uh, international uh, lecturers and Sherry Blankenship had come over from America and uh, she took, took me for typography, so the, 
the entry level papers, and then that sparked real interest. I'd always had those uh, letter set books and um, you know, lettering books when I was sort of young, and I'd, I'd sort of played around with logo types when I was sketching on graph paper and all that, and. Yeah, it was Sherry that sort of inspired me to sort of pick up the typography and, and keep going with it and, um, you yeah, know, find an interest. And, yeah, I just loved the layout and then sort of the intricacy of actually kerning and all those sorts of things. And uh, that was sort of, you know, as a lecturer, that was one of my inspirations um, and somebody that I, I think sort of pushed me along. Um, yeah, as far as other inspirations go, there are sort of always going to be people throughout, you know, you sort of career that you sort of look to in that and I think I was just lucky to work with some of the people that inspired me so as I've gone through um, people like Di Fuller um, in her sort of attention to detail but also her creative flair and sort of expression that was something that I was like oh uh, this is a great person to be to be working with and be inspired by so it's those sorts of things and then the Wellington community as well it was Back then, there was like so much happening in Wellington that there were just all these companies um, starting up. The Red Cactus was Chris Chong and Mike Pierce were um, first here. Um, Blair and Gary were running Ocean, and there was a real sort of vibrancy. There were still the big players. There were the uh, BNAs back then, and they became DNA. And there was DesignWorks, and uh, there was a real vibrancy. And I think just having that community around was actually um, sort of an inspiration as well. And so fresh out of your degree in Wellington, um, you set off overseas. So tell us about that. Yeah, that was a that was a bit of a little bit of luck. Um, it was it wasn't by plan. I always in my head I thought if I get if I do really well at this design stuff, I want to be working in a place like New York. And I still haven't been to New York, um, but. A uh, graduate from the design school uh, was back here on holiday, he was a New Zealander, and he'd set up a, an agency in London. And he came back through during the um, summer break. And I, you know, I really hadn't got my book together and gone out and sort of, you know, my wife had already had a job, she'd had, you know, five interviews, um, and she started a job at Red Cactus, and I was like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? And yeah, it was just... Um, Mark Sutherland, he'd come back, he interviewed a group of us um, for his company called Intergraphic, and I got the job in London as a, as a graduate. And so uh, I was thinking, well, what do I do? My, you know, uh, Jane and I, we weren't married then, but we were dating. My father was like, you've got to go, you've got to travel, don't let this girl um, like keep you grounded. And she was, I was like, well, she's not, I'm, like, I'm the one who doesn't want to go. And, and uh, she was the one that said, you've got to take this opportunity. It was a six month contract. And so I went, and it was uh, a little bit overwhelming going straight into London out of design school. I was quite young. I'd sort of gone to um, design school, even though I'd done a foundation course. I was still sort of one of those turns the age halfway through the year kind of thing. So I was still 21 when I got there. Um, and then I found out I wasn't getting paid as much as I thought. I'd sort of read the contract wrong, and it wasn't for the six-month contract. It was actually per annum, so like halved my salary. I was like, oh, oh. Um, hadn't lived uh, by myself, uh, all that sort of, and so dealing with that, and then dealing was like, right, so I've got a job, and it was, 
using programs like uh, we had sort of learned on the old sort of PageMaker and Freehand, um, which were around back then. We got to London and they were all about Illustrator and Quark, uh, Quark Express. And I was like, I don't even know how to use the software in this country. Um, so it was a big learning curve. Luckily, as a graduate, one of my jobs was just to sit down with a senior designer and go through just stacks and stacks and stacks of photo library books looking for pictures of people shaking hands. And we did a lot of work for Middle Eastern financial companies. Um, so it was all sorts of, you know, lots of handshaking, um, lots of uh, vibrant light coming through into that, lots of uh, gold foils. So got to use a lot of different materials when we were doing those annual reports. That was uh, an eye-opener. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. And they wanted me to stay, and we set up an office in uh, Bahrain. And the real focus for the company became the Middle East. And we, we went out to Bahrain a couple of times, and that was, again, that was sort of introduction to a different culture. And I thought, no, I've done my six-month contract. I made a you know I had agreed uh, was I made a commitment that I would come back. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I came back and worked for a smaller company. And then Jan and I, um, after a couple of years, we went and lived uh, in London. Um, and have you ever worked with Jane? No, it's um, and she always says, "Oh, we can't work together." We can, but I think we're very different. Um, Jane's very um, like incredibly well organised at doing design work, uh, where um, I sort of like, "Oh, I want to try this and I want to try that." And uh, she finds expression through other other means of, of doing the work. And I think, yeah, when we try to give each other advice, and so it's like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And uh, I don't know, it's probably a healthy tension, uh, but we do we do love each other, <laughs> don't you? But and we do we do enjoy the work that each other does. But it's one of those things like, oh, you know, would we work together? Uh, yeah, we haven't. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yet to be seen. So you uh, worked at Cleminger um, BBDO for over 10 years, um, so that's, has an ad, that's an advertising agency as its background, so did you actively seek to kind of go into that advertising agency environment or did you just um, fall into it? I was intrigued by it, it's one of those big sort of shiny uh, industries that I enjoyed because it had, it had you know, I fell for those kind of uh, really obvious things of when you can put uh, music and motion into your work, uh, you immediately create sort of emotional connection. And you can do that in print absolutely through uh, textures and, and the sort of the aesthetics. But I was just sort of, you know, I've always kind of a trivia, yeah, into trivia, uh, into pop culture, into things that had uh, a bit of vibrancy. And so I was drawn to it, but I didn't seek it out. I came back uh, to New Zealand, and I was wondering, well, what you know, what am I gonna, what am I gonna get into? And I went and met with a few uh, design agencies, and, and it was good to sort of chat. And at the time, Jane and I were sort of getting married, so I was kind of focused on that, and I was like willing to do some freelance. And and then there was a, I met with somebody who had been the accountant at Cleminger, and they had just won the National Bank uh, uh, account, which is now ANZ. And he said, oh, I'm setting up my own recruitment agency. It's going to be focused mainly on like accountants and um, you know, business development people. But I know some people at Clemenger, and I said, well, look, you get me the interviews. I'll give you some names of people you can contact um, who sort of through the networks. But you get me an interview at um, Clemenger. I'm going to go off and get married. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, yeah, I got, um, I got a job there. <laughs> and it was just like, wow, that's, that's kind of great because they had started to – work or sort of develop this integrated 
model where there was a design segment, um, there was the studio already, there was the art direction, and then there was a strategic side as well. Back then it was called State of Mind. And the, um, the design side of it got a lot of focus and, and had a general manager applied to it, and then the creative director, and then there was about three or four designers. And we had a, a great run. We were doing, still doing traditional design work, uh, annual reports for Tower, Radio Museums, Rebrand, um, so a lot of sort of you know, high-level design work, but also being exposed and being able to integrate. So if we did a Radio New Zealand job, we could integrate with the above-the-line campaign, and there would start to be a more connection or a thread that would re-drain through the work. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't by design that I went into these places, but I was really happy that that's the way it sort of worked out. And one of the projects you worked on was the design of the New Zealand um, passport. So tell us about this um, process. It was really interesting, and I think it was interesting from what you know, government departments sort of look for when they were procuring design work. And this, I, I believe from memory, this was a... It was a print job that was tended out to um, companies that could do secure printing, but it had a design element that somebody found through the uh, GETS system where all the jobs attended. And somebody read it and said, oh, they actually want the passport designed. And uh, we had done an original initial um, pitch for the work. Uh, I hadn't been involved at that time. I was sort of working closely with the National Bank team on um, their brand. And the people that were working on the passport had sort of moved on to other roles. And out of the blue, uh, I moved back to be linked more closely with the designers. And out of the blue, myself and the uh, general manager were summoned down to Internal Affairs to explain ourselves and talk about the process. And we just sort of found that the process needed to actually be a little bit more open to what they were receiving. It was such an important document that there were a lot of uh, constraints that were sort of put into the brief, the original brief about not having recognisable places or faces, um, and we just sort of questioned if there was another way to sort of do that. So uh, they, you know, to their credit, they went all the way right back because they'd already been through this process. Went right back to the start. They um, gathered up different select committees and artist advisory committees and CEO committees, and it does. I don't want to sound like it was designed by a committee, but there was a, a, a thorough process where we had to present the present the work. So what we did is we presented three ideas, and the idea that uh, came through was the one that I had sort of picked up on. I was talking about the story of navigation and how you come to New Zealand or how we come to New Zealand, how we travel. There was uh, there are different sort of layers of um, movement throughout the document. So there's a change of colour, which was representing the you know, morning from moving from morning to night. There were security features, um, like the Southern Cross moves across the page as you flip through the, the document. Uh, the Kofi-Fi pattern down the side had to have it. Uh, it wasn't mandatory, but we had a Kofi-Fi pattern which uh, symbolised the water fringing the sides of the country. And yeah, I built it up and, and through sort of my own experience and my father um, having been a navigator at sea, I brought in those kind of elements of navigation. Um, so I went from the natural navigation of birds and fish and, and then using the waka, how it travelled here, um, through to sort of navigation of the sky and then into more modern sort of um, techniques as well. And all throughout that, we come closer and closer and closer to the uh, landform and then rise up, uh, up and over it and uh, out through Bluff. And having the um, Sandy Adset was our advisor as one of the um, artist advisors and um, phenomenal input from there as well because I made some really you know, textbook errors on 
what I thought was appropriate, and he guided us into you know, how to sort of adjust that. The cover was interesting. We, that wasn't the cover that went with the story, but um, Helen Clark was the Prime Minister at the time of this job, and there was a change of government, and uh, she had seen that, and you've got to have the fern on the cover. And I was like, oh, it doesn't go with the story. It's from another design, and uh, it had been decreed that there will be a, you know, a fern on the cover of the passport. So, yeah, look... People have taken well to, to having it on there, uh, but for me, the my storytelling exists on the inside of those pages. And did they have? Was there an opportunity to tell the story to the general public about what had gone into the design of the passport? They 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 took it and they ran with it. Uh, mm. They actually have the story. Um, I think my original notes are actually published on the um, passport, the internal uh, Department of Internal Affairs website, have published the story. Um, on one of the pages here, because a lot of people do say, oh, what's the story? I was flicking through my passport and I saw this and I saw that. We have, uh, we've had um, requests from people around the world asking about where specific items are. Uh, where can I find the sundial um, that's in there? The Sundial Association had sorted out, like, oh, it's, it's not really in there. Some people have found some inaccuracies, uh, which was fine because we didn't want to you know, have too many things that were um, of a known kind of location or, um, yeah. And so for people to actually go to that amount of detail to sort of drill into like, oh, I saw this uh, sundial that you had. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what part is it? It looks very familiar. Uh, it looks like similar to one that is based in uh, London, but there's also one that I've seen in Palmerston North. And I'm like, look, it's, um, that's great that you found that, but it is just representing a form of navigation or a form of timekeeping. Because yeah. we also used a Harrison, um, watch in the um, passport, which was about how people started to determine longitude and latitude, and it was representing that sort of form of uh, uh, sort of naval travel that used that form, and people were saying, well, I don't remember anyone using the H4 when they travelled to New Zealand, I haven't seen any documentation of that, so no, it's, it's great that you've done that, but it's not about that, it was about these forms of navigation that were used around the times. Cool. And that um, tender process that you talk about... Um I would suppose working in Wellington, you'd be kind of quite familiar with that. And when the banknotes um, kind of came out and, you know, had been given to this uh, Canadian firm in terms of the design, you know, do you think there would have been an opportunity for New Zealand designers to look at that buried in the process? I think there may have been, and somebody may have somebody may have found that. And I mean, that's a that was a different a different government department or different department that ran it so maybe there wasn't the opportunity to have that discussion uh, so I don't I didn't see the the tender document that went out for that one uh, I did see Canadian banknote company's original design for the New Zealand passport and I'm glad we we got in there that's all I'll say on do you think we need to make it um, more obvious that opportunity to the New Zealand design profession for these projects yeah it's it's the education of of design amongst sort of organisations as well. It's that um, it's that understanding of what it, the value it adds. So uh, somebody might just look at it as oh, it's just a you know, a thing that needs to happen. But yeah, you know, we can't keep we can't keep putting up other countries as examples of oh, but look at these banknotes, they're beautiful and that. And you know, look at their passport in Switzerland, and look at the passport that's come out of this country, and they're they're all great. And I think we made we made movements in the New Zealand passport design, so I'm hopeful that you know if it is picked up and redesigned next time, there'll be another sort of step. But there's also that sort of element of what is New Zealand as a country comfortable 
whiz as far as design aesthetic goes. You know, we're very much into like, oh, it looks too, you know, it looks too fancy or it looks too slick. Um, but at the same time, we can't be Kiwiana all the time. And I kind of feel that sometimes when people are sort of putting out these um, tenders for that, it's like, we just need to get something printed and out. And people sort of you know, probably don't even notice the money now as sort of, they probably don't interrogate it the way that we interrogated it when it first came out. We sort of looked at it, we're like, that's awful. And, but now it's, it's in your wallet or, you know, if you do still use cash, mm. um, you know, it's around and you might not think twice about it. But, yeah, it was a missed opportunity mm. to do something on the, on the stage, uh, you know, on a world stage or in a space where people can sort of go, oh, wow, these guys are really taking things forward. So uh, I think there's a you know, certain amount of education and, uh, and that's why I'm quite pleased that there are things like the Better by Design conference that actually have this opportunity, at least at a business level, to be talking about sort of the, the power of having great design in, you know, in your business. Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start with um, that size of company. So do you think that's kind of, you know, that's the right place to start at the moment and then it will kind of spill down into, you know, medium and small size companies or is there another way that we could educate the public on the value of design? I think that, you know, it almost comes down to what is the, the talent is around as well. Like, it's all very well to just say we demand, you know, better, better design work, but do we have the talent to support that as well? Um, I think we do, they're out there. And then there's always going to be the cost of actually, you know, employing somebody to do that. And so, you know, we're very much of the, and, you know, social media to a certain point is, is kind of... Um, Example, uh, sort of amplified that that we're like oh we can just do it on a shoestring. Um, yeah, everybody who has a, a, a phone or a filter, um, yeah, thinks that they can they can make a movie and, and put it up there, and that's true. You can. There's absolutely you know there's reasons to be doing that sort of thing. But then where is our craft in that? And uh, you can still have craft on, on a low budget, um, but that's about having the talent to sort of to put it out there. Um, and then it's that sort of ownership of, uh, I don't know if you've you know, ever written a piece of copy and then had a client go, I've, I've, had, a, I've had a bit of a play myself. And that's, that's great. Collaboration is, is wonderful. But um, there's also that craft at the end of it as well. Um, but yeah, not everyone was a pen as a, a great writer. So. And so you're working now um, in an in-house um, studio. And so what inspired your move from agency to design studio to in-house? So yeah, when I, uh, I remember somebody saying, you know, I looked, I looked grey when I left advertising. Um, the hours were, uh, yeah, incredibly long. There was the great highs, and then there were sort of real struggles. And for me, it was as the as the agency was sort of you know, developing or, or looking to sort of streamline and and you know get more for less, and um, you know. It was just sort of like getting very monotonous, like, ah, oh, this isn't enjoyable anymore. This isn't what I love to do. Um, you know, there was still the great people and there was great projects going on, but the position of where design was sitting in that um, organisation at the time was just sort of was dwindling away and it was getting commoditized. It was the, oh, you know, we've got, um, we've got an in-house team. So in-house teams were starting to affect, um, you know, my, my position in an agency. Uh, and then it was like, well, where's the sort of the joy? So an opportunity came at Ocean to work on um, 
you know, brand and culture and start to get more into sort of, oh, it's all about the internal teams. It's all about how we can start to educate people and how they can demand uh, you know, better work or understand what a brand is because you know, so often it was just a CEO or marketing person standing up going, hey, we've changed our logo and you're all gonna, you know, you're gonna love it and you're gonna get these shiny new things and there's gonna be t-shirts and then about three months later, you'll forget about it and uh, you just go back to being you know, what, what it always been. So to look at, to have a place where I could go and sort of really talk about branding and, and how that sort of works with leadership and, and culture, um, that was the opportunity that was at, uh, was at Ocean. And it came up because of somebody who was on maternity leave. And then when I, um, I thought, oh, I, I might have a look at doing my own thing. I'd always sort of thought about, oh, I should be able to, to do this. So um, it was the worst time of the year to be doing it. It was December and January, um, quiet time. But I met some really great people and I managed to pick up a bit of work. And then just during that period, uh, the job here at Zero came up. And it was design lead and I knew that it was all going to be very digital and that wasn't my... That's not my sort of background, it's not my strength. Um, I love working with teams, I love developing um, skilled people, I love the creative idea. And we were, um, we, um, I was sent uh, the job, Vite, they sent out those sort of um, little invitations and it was from a, a friend who was working here in the development team. And I sort of met with them, what's the place like? Is, you know, do they really value design? I knew they, did in the product, but in the creative and the marketing, you know, do they really value it? It's a great place. And yeah, I, I met with the, the team here, and uh, it's actually one of the biggest design teams, uh, ironically one of the biggest times design teams I've worked with. Uh, really skilled uh, young people who have got a range of talents across um, UI, new UX, and then also into the creative space. But the opportunity here was to sort of go, hey, we really want to foster this in-house uh, advertising creative sort of space. So what's great about agencies is the collaboration or the, the, the free flowing of ideas or the um, chance to sort of mould things and, and work together. Um, previously it had been uh, very much a, um, a brief, went to a writer, the writer wrote some words, the words got given to a designer and an ad got pushed out. And uh, we, yeah, we just look, looked at sort of working a different way and then uh, we had a, head, a global head writer come on a, from an agency background and just started to sort of move things into a, a, a different way. So the, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of like, ooh, in-house, is that where I want to be? But there are so many, uh, there's a growth in this space of one that zero, we have a huge range of um, different channels that we're we're talking through, and social is one of the ones that has sort of um, come a long way since we've got a, a new global head of uh, social. And that's, there's interest and there's excitement uh, and there's creativity to be had in those spaces. But I was thinking, what is it? You know, what's it going to be like? But then I have a friend, uh, Philip Adore, as the head of designer at PowerShop. Um, I met with guys at Icebreaker um, for their in-house design. Uh, yeah, their in-house design team was uh, Gareth years ago, and um, Trade Me is a, uh, one of my previous designers. Susanna is uh, the head of design there, and um, yeah, it's not just the sort of the typical or you know probably the stereotype of you know coming into a cubicle and. You know, doing some work and not having exposure or not being challenged to push it harder and, and you know, further. Mm -hmm. So do you think these the emergence of in-house design studios, I think particularly in New Zealand um, in the last little while, 
do you think that they're here to stay? And how do external design studios work with these in-house? I was, uh, yeah, I was asked that recently by somebody about they're looking at their um, company and how do they um, how do they work now as in-house uh, teams? And it's it's about well, you know we still have to go external. We don't have to, but. We love the fact that there is this rising gig economy and that we can actually bring in other people who have different strengths and inspire us uh, and and move us in a different direction. So we have an in-house video team, uh, super talented guys, but they all work with external producers and directors to actually um, sort of challenge what they might be doing, but also sort of produce work of a, at a different level. Uh, so we do the same in the creative spaces. We uh, look to sort of talk to people that could help us inspire or sort of reframe what we're what we're working on. So uh, yeah, that is um, that that's fine for people who are freelance. I think for uh, agencies, it's about you know what are you what is your core speciality? What are you going to offer, uh, and how can you work closer? There's nothing. There's probably nothing worse, and I've been on the other side where you're the agency and you feel like, yep, we've, we will do this and it's going to be great. And working at Ocean, we worked really hard on those relationships with internal teams. So places like Loyalty New Zealand, we were, we were sort of working with Ben Lewis and his team on how they can sort of start to implement any changes that we made to um, the identity, get them involved in the initial session. We bring them up to our um, studio and have all the work on display and ask for their input and uh, listen you know, to what they were saying. It's, kind of, it's all very well to have these sessions where you put post-it notes up about words and that, but to actually have pictures up there and get them involved in that. And it's not about relinquishing any sort of um, rights. It's actually just working a, a heck of a lot better for the right outcome. Um, sometimes there's those things like you, could, you can appreciate when people say, stand back and we're going we're to amaze you and it's going to challenge you and it's going to push you. And that, that, I think that, that is one of the great things about agencies is you've got to have the trust to actually go and push your clients to a place that maybe they feel uncomfortable being, but it's going to be for the right, um, for the right reasons. Uh, because you, you don't want complacency in an in-house team where you just go, look, we've always done it this way. Um, and we'll just keep moving along here. So sometimes those sort of external sources are great at just sort of like, I'm going to give you a shot in the arm and move you to a different place that you, you're not sure you want to go there, but it's going to be right. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, I think that's the, the challenge and the opportunity for external agencies. So what's the role of a creative director in-house? Are you still hands-on in the design process? I am. There are a lot of meetings. Um, and I, for me, it's about, uh, my designers are the ones who need to develop and grow. So when I am hands-on, it's the, the sort of idea of, um, demonstrating to the team like yeah look I can still I can still do it um, I'm not going to do it all the time and I'm not saying I need to save the world but if if I need to jump in and and you know move something into the right space we can do it I've I've always sort of believed it's like um, you know creative direction not creative dictator so I let the team sort of develop and see where they're moving to um, and then sort of course correct a little bit and um, you know push a little bit harder and sort of maybe where something could be um, you know, stronger. But then, yeah, I do pick up a few projects. There's, there's certain projects that I like to get involved in, and um, they tend to, for some reason, they tend to involve exhibitions. I don't know why. I think it might go back to this sort of notion of being interested in architecture and industrial design at an early early age and um, yeah, building, building tables out of 
you know, cardboard and um, or you know, weird sort of ways of bringing an exhibition space to life. Um, yeah, I'm quite intrigued by that. So, yeah, watching a program like um, the Netflix Abstract series is the worst thing for me because every episode. I go, I want to do that. I want to be Christoph Nyman illustrator. Oh, I want to be an S. Devlin uh, stage designer now. Um, but yeah, when I'm at work, it's about, okay, which, which project am I going to pick up? Because the other thing is, I need to realise that my time just gets so much more limited. Um, and I need to actually spend that time with the team and you know, guiding them that if I take on too much of a job, I'm going to get stuck in a corner too focused on that, so you know, it's better maybe just to do a doodle and say, hey, who wants to help bring this to life or you know, get involved in the early stages and sort of see what we can push an idea to. So the recent change campaign we did, uh, we had a senior designer work on that and my involvement was pretty much sort of stand at the background and, and, and push and then you know, do a few scamps to bring the idea to life so we could sell it into the internal um, client. So do you treat the marketing department as the client, or is it much more collaborative than that? No, it's it's super collaborative. Uh, super collaborative? <laughs> Sounds a bit extreme, but it is, um, it's incredibly collaborative in the way that we can sort of just have those discussions. We have access to, you know, the same uh, research that might be coming up about particular segments that we want to focus on. So all of those sorts of marketing um, um, sort of the marketing talk that you, as an agency, you'd hear about from a distance, we're kind of, you know, we're hearing about it on a regular basis. We're understanding where things are moving and when we need to react. Um, and I think we have a lot clearer um, sort of view on, like, okay, we need to be focusing on over here and how can we get there and how can we get there together. And, yeah, there's still that tension between, oh, it's not what I was looking for or, hey, you need to, you know, you need to sort of trust us on this one. And uh, that's worked really well in the year that I've been here. It's just sort of gotten you know, better and better from that sort of, you know, we've had changes, the place has grown, so you're always bringing new people in and um, it's sort of like, are they going to, like, hey, look, we've designed it this way, and, you know, this is sort of what we're, we're looking to sort of continue to do and is that going to work with you? And, yeah, I think it's just we've got the trust and we've now got the sort of the, um, the runs on the board that, hey, look, um, we know what we're doing. And um, yeah, it's it's getting um, better. We're a uh, bit different in New Zealand in that our, a lot of our marketing team are based in Auckland, and our um, creative teams are in Wellington. But the other regions, they they work sort of side by side. And um, yeah, we we just sort of have to do that in different ways in New Zealand. So ironically, um, in the smallest of the regions, um, we work more remotely, um, but it still works out really well. So what have been some of the challenges to date and the rewards of working in-house? Um, sometimes it's that uh, feeling that you're, you're, you know, you're on tap and one of the challenges is actually uh, you know, we, have, we have a limited number of hours. Um, we're not sort of, you know, we're not the, a print store that you can just turn up to and just go, hey, we want to get this uh, cool thing done. And that challenge of actually, but is it right and pushing back? And I think as we've grown, and that was, uh, the organisation probably used to be like that, where it was, yeah, hey, we just want to get this done and that's cool. But now it's about, um, hey, look, we need to be really smart about what we're doing here. Um, you know, it's not unlimited creative hours. Like, yes, we've got creative minds. Um, but we need to think about, is this going to actually get us to where we need to be going? You know, we have targets, so is it going to move us into that space? 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's brand awareness and then there's sort of you know, marketing um, sort of goals. But um, that's sort of, that was one of the challenges. I think people are getting a better understanding, like, you know, do, is it required? Um, and that's just sort of a, a conversation that you have, like, is it really, do we really need to be doing this? It's, it's an investment of hours, not time, because no one's seen to bill at the end of the day to say, hey, you've just, you've just spent you know, this amount of money on design. Like, oh, okay, I'm gonna stop doing that. Is it, and the day-to-day culture of um, kind of hours spent in, in mm. the studio, you know, do you find that um, much more kind of um, balanced in terms of a regular work day, or do you yeah. still spill into kind of deadlines and... There's, yeah, there are still deadlines. There are uh, releases that need to go out. There's urgent things that need to happen. But we have a great traffic management system, uh, and our um, traffic manager is based in Melbourne, but we have weekly uh, or daily um, stand-ups with her just to sort of say where jobs have gotten to, where the roadblocks are, are coming up. Um, we might need to look at putting more time into a job the next day or actually the job needs to be delivered by Wednesday, so we're going to need to sort of shuffle the... Um, the team around and, and sort of put our focus on that and maybe it's just a generational thing but maybe it's this place where just the work balance is, is great um, and maybe it's just me sort of coming from this you know of years of now I've got to get in at seven and leave at seven and you know the old um, the really bad agency uh, line of somebody leaving at 5.30 like oh half day is it and Thing. I went to when I went to Ocean. It was like a chance to actually reset. Um, it was the um, the operations manager sort of pulled me aside, and he had been apparently in back in the days. He had been like really bad at it as well. But he said to me like, "Now's your opportunity to reset your um, how you're going to work." And so you know, if you want to be out here at eight thirty and leave at five, that's what you you do. And it was just then that I yeah started to like put one hour in my diary every day for lunch break. Which you know, and it sounds like you kind of um, you got this kind of survivalist mentality. It's like, no, I'm going to have a, an hour lunch break. Um, it's going to um, I'm going to stick to it, and I'm going to leave at five thirty. And yeah, I, um, I I think it used to be like if I left an advertising, I got the six o'clock bus. I was early, and now it's like if I get six o'clock bus, I'm late, um, and I don't work the weekends. I'm still thinking about jobs. Um, but yeah, and the only the only um, time of sort of working late is we deal with uh, different regions. So the UK, I'll be talking to them late at night, so they don't have to do late nights, or I'll, you know, I come in early in the morning. And yeah, that's been that's probably one of the only things that's like, oh, I'm going to need to you know stay up to ten thirty to talk to the London office. But you know, it's it's pretty minor compared to the way things were. So the team is really good at that as well. They you know they come in, they're focused, they know what they need to get done. Um, and then we can sort of talk about, well, actually, do you need more time to, you know, to get it to the, the next level? And some people talk about, um, don't want to talk about work-life balance. They just want to talk about living their life and that, and that design is, mm. is part of their life and um, therefore it's not bound by kind of that work day. Um, and also, you know, that idea of getting into a flow that can lead to longer days. Um, do you agree with that, or do you think we need to kind of, you know, work hard to um, keep it, keep that kind of workday regular, so that yes, you're thinking about design, you know, throughout the evenings mm-hmm. and on the weekend. That's a given, but um, it's important to kind of have that um, those circuit breakers and and get out there and do other things. Yeah, I yeah. 
for me, it's you, you, creative people are always thinking creatively anyway. It's just you're not, you know, those that sort of eight to five thirty is the expectation that you're a, you're a, you're in an office, you're in a studio somewhere. Uh, we work. Um, we actually tell people to work from home if they, you know, if they're feeling like it. You're actually so much more productive as well when you work from home. I found uh, I've done it, and it's almost out of guilt because people sort of put the little um, quote marks around it and say, "Oh, working from home." And it's actually that sort of drives you to be like, I need to be really productive. But it, it is to actually step outside of the studio sometimes and um, the team can contact you. We, all, we do Google Hangouts um, constantly, even if we're sitting side by side and then with somebody else in another area. And we've always got that contact. So I actually find that I'm sort of taking, I'm responding faster to my team when I'm working from home because uh, an email pop up and I can just sort of respond and, and give them the feedback that they they look for or jump on a call and sort of talk through an, an issue. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, look, some people work differently, some people like that. I, I do get into, if I'm really deep into a project, um, I will put the extra time in because I want it to be of a certain standard. And so, yeah, I'll just, you know, that's, that's on me. That's how I want to work. Um, but it's, it's when it's the exception, not the expectation, that's when I think it's um, probably healthier for you. So when you are not expected to be at your desk finishing that work or doing that thing, but um, from time to time there might be the push. I mean, I think the one difference is we're not, uh, we're not pitching for work all the time. And that, for me, that was always the, the thing that kept me working late in other um, situations was we've got a pitch on and we need to do, you know, we need to go hard and we need to sort of do something amazing. And that was where um, the sort of, the life deteriorated into sort of like this constant sort of pitch and this constant anxiety about well, where's the next job coming from? And yeah, so we've got that, we've sort of got that, a little bit of that security here and that we know that what the projects are, but um, we don't have to have that you know, constant anxiety, so therefore we can probably ex you know, explore into different areas. Um, but yeah, again, some people work differently. So that pitching, was that a lot of, a lot of the time, was that kind of that free pitching? And do you think that's kind of, you know, uh, poses that question that as a profession we shouldn't um, be pitching for free? Because then it rolls over into these other behaviours. Yeah, I, it's been a constant one. I was in the UK... Um, and they were trying to develop uh, through their design association a say no to free pitching, uh, which was admirable because, yeah, it is, a, it is an investment of time. But uh, And for a smaller agency, you just can't afford to, for, to do that. I know when I, when I was looking at doing my own um, thing, somebody approached me um, to do a pitch, and it was just me, and I was like, look, I'm, I'm a solo, sole trader at the moment, I can't invest, you know, I need to be getting runs on the board, I need to be getting dollars through the door um, and I can't just give up a week or whatever it was going to be on the hope that you might give me the work at the end of it and then will that work even be worth it um, so uh, yeah I don't have an answer for that I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's just a constant struggle. It comes down to what are you, as a company or as an individual, what are you willing to invest to get that piece of work um, for it be time or resources or money uh, because it might be a piece of work that's going to take you to another 
place and it's really worth it. But if it's just we need to, we must have, and we must have this client. It's like why? Like why do you want that bit of work? What's it going to do? Or what are you going to do for that client? Or how are you going to work better together? Um, so that was always the thing. Like, do we really want to go after this piece of work? Like, is it worth it? Do we, you know, do we want to be dealing with this like person that's producing noxious gas, or um, you know, or do we want to be over here? So. So do you have a personal design or creative practice? No, not now. And when people ask me to do freelance work, I, um, I actually say no now. It's quite, um, it's quite liberating. Uh, I, yeah, I enjoy going back to some of those things that, you know, a little bit of nostalgia where I went and brought some um, lino and started doing lino cuts. Um, because I was like, yeah, I really, I really want to do that again. Uh, I went and brought some pen and ink because I, you know, I was inspired by uh, an artist, uh, Michael Cho, who does these really kind of retro style illustrations, and I want to do that as well. And so that's kind of the stuff I do. I'm probably going to be, you know, um, probably in my old age, I'll go back to painting or you know, doing acrylics and things like that. But no, I don't have a, I don't have a practice. Um, I'm getting really good at being a, um, a referral for people because when they email me, I say, "Oh, you should go and talk to this company. Um, they're really, you know, they're really good." Um, or, or picking the, you know, picking some interesting agencies that I know who, you know, would work well together with that that particular client. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that sort of consultant referral kind of <laughs> role that I've, I've kind of fallen into. And do you have um, ways that you disconnect and reconnect to yourself? Um, I just go back to those old things that are, you know, popular culture. I, I mean, yeah, terrible to admit, but I've still watched, you know, cartoons with my son, and I'll make him watch cartoons that I want to watch. Like, come on, buddy, we're watching this, and he'll, like, drift off. And, oh, and James like, what are you watching? My wife's like, what are you watching that program for? Oh, uh, Hugo was watching it. Was, um, it's just on. Um, but, I, yeah, those those things are you know just zoning out and they sound really like oh you don't really have a, an interesting life but when you're not you know at your in your office or when you're working from home or that and you've got kids it's actually just nice to be able to spend time with them and especially now as you know they're moving into sort of intermediate and college stage that's kind of the I sort of think oh what was it that I really enjoyed is that you know um, my mother sort of she had an interest in different creative arts as well and she sort of pushed me and um inspired me in that space and so I kind of want to be that sort of person but I keep saying to the kids don't get into design do something interesting and then come back to design um, because that's sort of an interesting path and finally uh, what are your words of wisdom you'd like to share with other graphic designers and creatives out there yeah I I, yeah I saw I saw a lot of talk at uh, the Better by Design conference and I thought, oh, they had real words of wisdom and I should steal some of those. But um, oh, I think it is that, you know, somebody was asking me recently about, oh, should I just get a job, you know, because it's a job? And that sort of goes back to, you know, my early days. It's like, if you can, if you can hold out for the job that you you want to get into or the field that you want to get into, then do that. Um, it's going to be more rewarding. Um, I've been lucky in that I've kind of just fallen into different things, but... I did, in my head, have a bit of a, a vision, and that was that sort of statement at the start where 
when I was 18 years old, I thought I wanted to get a job or a career that would take me places. And, you know, having that little kind of thing as I went, that was, that's what kicked me off in this career. Um, and I think that sort of keep, was what keeps me going. It's like, okay, I want to get into a job where I can see teams grow, or I want to get into a job where, you know, and these all sound like I'm talking about jobs, but I want to get to a place where I'm inspiring others, or I want to get into a place where um, people, others are inspiring me. Um, that would probably be my words of wisdom. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Pete. Thanks, Lou. For more information in relation to this interview, please go to the podcast links and resources on our website, designassembly.org.nz.